we can actually be the church we're supposed to be. Now, um, there are things that we need to knock out of the way if we're going to actually abide, if we're going to be that people uh, that are abiding in Christ. Now, what's the key issue as far as abiding in Christ is concerned? What does it mean, first of all? To abide in Christ. Let's have a word of prayer. Then your, then your minds will kick in and your memories will come back, right? Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for these that have come out tonight. And Lord, we do pray that you would just bless us as we look to you and look to your word tonight. Help us, Lord, uh, to center ourselves in you and to realize, Lord, all that we can uh, because of what you've done for us. And Lord, I do pray that you would bless LifeGate, Lord, that you would give us good days, that you would give us great blessings, and that we would know your presence and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Connecting, yeah, no, that's right. Connect, connecting with who? Connecting with Jesus, that's right. Come on in. Um, <clears throat> connecting with Jesus. Abiding means to dwell, to be with. Really, when we talk about abiding, another way we could put it is be filled with the Spirit. Another way we could put it is to walk in the Spirit. I, your life in Christ, it's abiding. It's that life where you're in Christ and you're living in that relationship with Him. Now, one of the issues that we have to deal with along the way is the fact that not all of Christianity actually sees that. And not all Christians live that. And the problem with that is that it's not real Christianity unless it's that. You can have religion and you can have Christianity. Christianity is uh, when you're actually abiding in Christ, when uh, you're, you're, you're dwelling in him, living in him. And religion is when you're following the rules and doing those things that people uh, want you to do, right? <clears throat> and rapidly the church, uh, uh, what I want to do before we go to the study tonight is I want to actually give you a couple of things uh, that, that can actually stand in our way from abiding, right? <clears throat> and even as far as the church is concerned, uh, let me read you and then we'll talk about it. While Sunday school and Bible studies can be a great way to teach people how to study the Bible and to improve their prayer lives, they often become a part of a to-do list we talked about earlier. Rather than encouraging people in their intimate relationship with Christ, these programs convince people that they've checked the Jesus box for the week and can then go on their way. Transformation isn't happening here and congregations know it, even if they can't put a finger on what the problem is. You get what I'm saying there? You can actually have Bible studies and you can have church and you can have lots of activities and you can have people going to them and they're checking boxes, checking the Jesus box. I've actually been there. And if, if it doesn't go deeper than that for us, what happens is it just becomes religion. It, our default almost is to go into some kind of a work system. It's just how we're made. That's, that's really our default, that we, that we just, we, we slip into some kind of a work system where we can actually check boxes and do it, and there's no vibrancy, there's no intimacy, there's, there's no abiding, right? <clears throat> An abiding church sets itself up to be fluid enough to follow the revelatory leading of God. Does your church have current life transformation stories, or do you find yourself only discussing what things used to be like? Churches like LifeGate can rapidly fall into that, where you start talking about things that used to be and not what's actually going on. Because there's supposed to be transformation going on in our lives. And the only way there's transformation going on in our lives uh, is if we're walking with God. Now, when he talks about being fluid enough, fluid sounds dangerous, doesn't it? But be, being fluid enough means that instead of us following a set of rituals, of rules that we have, what we're doing is we're following the Lord and we're walking with him. And we're looking to him and we're expecting him to speak into our lives. And that's kind of, that, that's more than most of us really want. Let me put it that way. We'd sooner have it nice and easy. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And then I can help my life. That's not what Christianity is though. Christianity is, instead of you actually just doing what you're told, Christianity is you dwelling in a relationship with Jesus Christ and knowing his presence and being in that vibrancy so that when people see you and you talk to people, what's happening is Christ is happening. They're seeing Christ. Did you ever meet somebody and you knew they were walking with God? It's unmistakable, isn't it? This person is in the presence of the Lord. Did you ever meet somebody one time and they're walking with the Lord and then you meet them maybe a few years later and you look at them and you're saying, 
What happened? What happened to you? Right? At one moment they're abiding, and then they're not abiding. What we want to be doing is we want to be abiding. We want to, if we're going to have an impact on, on our day, it's not going to be because we're better than everybody else. It's not going to be because we're sharper. It's not going to be because we know more Bible. It's not going to be because we have a bigger building. It's not going to be because we have more people. If we're going to have an impact upon our day, it's going to be because we're abiding. It's Christ in me, <clears throat> out of our belly shall flow rivers of living water. And <clears throat> so what we need is, we need <clears throat> a constant renewal inside of us. Right? We're walking with him, there's a constant renewal, there's a constant growing, there's a constant change happening in us as we're growing. I asked you before, are you in a better place now spiritually than you were this time last year? How would you know? By the way, that's one of the questions that's going to come up uh, on the sheet for you, right? Uh, one of the things that gets in the way of us actually being <clears throat> uh, moving ahead spiritually as a church is the finances. Because rapidly what happens with, with the church is the budget begins to dominate and you have to have people in, you have to make money. And, and that begins for, uh, to become what you're doing. We've got to fight that with everything that's in us. Like God provides for what he wants to do. And if God doesn't provide for it, he doesn't want it done. But we can't take on the burden of uh, the finances have to be the main issue. We can't be talking about the finances all the time because you, you, you'll, you'll see that sometimes where churches become dominated by the finances. That's not the issue. God actually provides for what he wants. If we all do our part, there, there will be no problem there, right? Uh, um. I am rapidly going through. Another problem we talked about is egocentric leadership, right? So if the leader in the church wants to make it all about him, right? And, you know, there's not just one leader in a church, by the way. There's all kinds of leadership within a church. It can't be about me. If it's all about me, then it's not about Christ. If it's all about you, then it's not about Christ either. It's got to be that it's about Christ. I'm the under-shepherd. If you get, have a leadership position in the church, you need to understand that, that uh, it's not about you, it's about Christ. Uh, we've been talking about doing a discipleship program. And here's the issue with discipleship. When we talk about discipleship, what we really want to do is we want to plug people into Christ. We want to bring them to the place where they're abiding in Christ. So the people that are discipling people need to be plugged into Christ first, don't they? It's not just a course. It's not just going through the, uh, the rules and the regulations. You've you got to actually be walking with God yourself. And then you've you got to make sure that's not about you. See, <clears throat> coming to Christ is as simple as believing on what Christ did on the cross. After that, and you begin to abide... He begins to ask much more of you. Now, it's all possible by faith. It's not you doing it. But he begins to ask much more of you. He begins to ask you to die to yourself and your plans and live to him. That's a hard one for people to do. In fact, a lot of people miss that one. Listen, it can't be about you and about him at the same time. You, you have to come to the place where you're, where you're giving yourself to him, where you're letting him have his way. Otherwise, what's happening is you're not portraying the picture of Christ. You're portraying the picture of you or of something else. And when it comes to leaders too, did, did you notice that Jesus didn't pick the best of the best to be his, his leadership? The, the apostles are not the best of the best. The apostles are ordinary men, and he picked and he used those men. Now, why do you think he did that? Couldn't he have picked the very best men in the world? Because remember, Jesus is going to minister with them for three years, and then he's going to die on the cross, and then he's going to leave. And it's all up to them. Why didn't he pick, why didn't he pick the best of the best? What do you think? Okay, yeah, that's definitely true. 
that they, they would be humble. What, what else? What, what else about them? Okay, they weren't the top echelons that were well accepted and so on. That's good, yeah. Anyone else? Pardon? He had trust in them. Okay, but would you have trusted Peter? We definitely would have trusted Judas. Right? <clears throat> These men were not great. What he, was, what he was doing is he was taking ordinary men that really didn't have great ability. Right Now, they have some... St- great qualities, but they don't have great ability. And he's taking these ordinary men, and what he's doing is, he's going to fill them with himself. And he had to have men that were willing to let that happen. Now, they weren't at first. They were full of themselves. But they did come to the place where they were willing to let that happen. They were willing to let him fill them. And that's what he did. He worked with them for three years to bring them to the place where they were ready to abide, ready to be filled with the Spirit. So here's, here's, the, here's the application for you and I, right? You don't have to be great to abide. You don't have to be great to be used of God. You don't have to be great in yourself for any of what we're talking about. What you need to do is you need to be willing and you need to let him work on you because he'll do the work on you and he'll bring you through it. But <clears throat> it's... But, the thing about it is, if it becomes about you, right, then that short circuits the whole thing. Because he wants it to be himself working through you. He wants you to die to self so that he can work through you. And, you know, <clears throat> you'd like to say, well, that's, 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 a, that's a pretty hefty expectation to have of anyone. And it is. But that's the only thing that works in the context we're talking about. It doesn't work for you to do it in your own strength, for you to make it happen by yourself. It doesn't work like that. It only works when you come to the end of yourself and you say, okay, Lord, it's got to be you because it's not me. And that has no bearing upon your abilities. Your abilities, by the way, you having abilities doesn't, doesn't help and <clears throat> you not having abilities doesn't help. It, the only thing that helps you is when you come to the place where you yield to him and let him do his work through you. Right? It's not your ability. You're, you, you, you are not the issue in this thing at all, right? Um, and what happens is that, you see, we'll say you get saved. Who's, who's the most recent person that got saved here, right? Um, who got saved in the last month? Got born again in the last month. Who got born again in the last six months? Trevor got born again in the last six months. All right. So we have three people here that got born, born again in the last six months, right? So somebody who's born again six who's the oldest saved here? <laughs> now, I'm not talking about your age here, right? Hugh, I, you probably are looking around the room. Yeah, I imagine Hugh Daly, you're, how long ago were you saved? 30-odd years ago. 70, 74, so that's 26 and 22 is... That, that, that's a long time, isn't it? Anybody, anybody, here, anybody here older than that in, in their salvation? Caroline. <laughs> Caroline brought the gospel to Hugh's door. <laughs> that's, that's good. <laughs> That's good, Carla. I mean, obviously, you were only five when it happened, all right? (laughs) All right. So you can have somebody who got saved six months ago and somebody who got saved 40-odd years ago, and the issue is not going to be their talents or their abilities. The issue is going to be how much of themselves they've yielded to God over the time. And, and if somebody has yielded themselves over that time, what's happened is Christ has kind of been formed in them and he's blossomed in them. And so that you're seeing a different person. But understand this, it should be an ongoing process. In other words, I should be growing in Christ until the day I meet him. Different seasons of life, you, it's going to look different. 
but they're supposed to be that growing in Christ until I meet him. You never get to retire from Christianity. Now, people do. What they do is they take their foot off the, uh, off the gas, so to speak, as they, as, as they come into the end, because they want, they want to coast into the end. You can't coast into the end in this thing. I mean, you, you can retire from your job. But as a Christian, your, your goal line is the Lord Jesus Christ. You're growing towards it. So what you're supposed to be doing is you're supposed to be abiding. You're supposed to be growing until that day when you meet him. And here's what happens. If I'm abiding in Christ and Christ is being formed in me and I'm full of the spirit, what happens is I've got leadership. I'm actually able to touch people, not because I'm great, but because he is great and he is working in me. Um, <clears throat> I'm flying through stuff here because I want to get, get to some important stuff for you. <clears throat> okay, consumerism is another thing the church uh, falls down on. And consumerism is when we set up the church so that everybody is getting something out of it and it's catering to the people. Right? You're probably not that familiar with it. Consumerism in our culture is we live expecting to be able to buy what we want and do what we want, and we live that way. And we, and we expect, you know, we expect we go across the road to buy a cup of coffee. If we don't get a cup of coffee that we like over there, well, then we're done with it and we'll go somewhere else. Um, <clears throat> so we expect to be able to get what we want for a good price, and when we don't, we move on to the next place. And, um, but we expect to be catered for. Right? Now, how does the church cater to people? How can the church cater to people? I'm not talking about life gate now. I'm talking about the church at large. How can the church cater to people? Okay, well, now that would be a good way to do it, right? What about bad ways to do it? Where you focus the church on catering to people? Giving them rules. Well, giving them rules, that, that, that's actually one I hadn't thought of, but it is true. Giving them rules. What about we, we set the music... And we focus it on people. Now, let me talk to you about music for a second here. What's the purpose of us singing on a Sunday morning or any other time in the church? Worship. Who's it about? God. Right? Now, there's all kinds of different music out there, but the focus of worship music is God. Right? Now, what if we do this? What if we take the focus off God and make the focus on people? We want everybody to come because they're enjoying the music. Sorry? It's idolatry. But understand, it's not about the type of music. It's about the focus of the heart. Right? And, and churches do that, don't they? Uh, they will actually set up the music so that people are, are happy with the music and they can lose that sense of worship. We don't want to do that, right? What about running all kinds of programs? All kinds of programs for adults and teens and kids and all kinds of things. Can that be consumerism? Can, can't it? Now, what's the problem with that? When you take the focus off God and you put the focus on man, what happens? I mean, Rory's right, it's idolatry. What happens then is that you're no longer actually meeting their spiritual eternal needs what you're doing is you're meeting their temporal needs. You're making them feel good. And because we live in a culture where we want everything out there to make us feel good, uh, we, we want the church to make us feel good too. Now listen, if you worship God, that's the best feel good you're going to get in the whole world. You were made for it. And if the church can help you come to that place where you're worshiping God, that's where the feel good is. And I'm, I'm not talking about the different sorts of music here at all. I'm talking about the heart, about the direction of your heart as far as this is concerned. That you've got to come as far as the music is concerned for God. Uh, you've got to come into Christianity, and it's not about me making me feel good and making my life work. It's about, Lord, what do you want? Now, <clears throat> that sounds at odds with the idea of you being comfortable and happy. It's not. The, you were made to walk in relationship with him. And when you walk in relationship with him, that's when you're going to be the best you there is. But it's not about you. It's about him. Your happiness is not the main goal. The church's happiness is not the main goal. The main goal is 
God being worshipped and God being pleased, our happiness is a byproduct of that, but it's the only real happiness that we'll find in this world. Now, uh, look with me at Matthew, Gospel of Matthew. We're going to ask a question here. What would Jesus do? Matthew 9, verse 35. Somebody read it for us there. Matthew 9, verse 35. Now, wait a minute until everybody gets there because you need to see it. Matthew 9 and verse 35. Who's going to read it for us? Okay, we'll read down to verse 38 there, Alfred. When he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were, they were around and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Okay. Right, so Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching their synagogues, preaching the gospel, and he was healing every sickness and every disease among them. Now, here's a question for you. Could Jesus have healed every blind person in Israel? No problem. Did he heal every blind person in Israel? No. Could he have healed everybody with leprosy in Israel? Could he? Yeah. Did he? What did he do? Look at our text here. What we're reading. What did he do? He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered, sheep without a shepherd. And he said, The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And in chapter 10, what he does is he sends out the twelve to preach. If I'm there, I'm saying, hang on a minute, Jesus. You could actually heal everybody. Why are you sending out the guys to preach? So why didn't he just go around and fix everybody? Why didn't he do what they wanted? Because that's what they wanted. They wanted him to heal them. Why didn't he do that for them all? What do you think? Come on, help me here. When? They had to come to him. Okay, they had to come to him. Right? But he still, I mean, he, he had the power to heal. Here's the thing, right? Let, let me give you an illustration of it, right? We'll say I have the power Jesus had, right? I can walk up to Tala Hospital. It's jammers at the moment. There's people going through all kinds of sickness and all kinds of pain, all kinds of difficulties. Anybody know how many people are in Tala Hospital at any given time? No, there's hundreds Maybe, maybe thousands of people up there. If I had the power Jesus had, I could go up and walk the corridors of Tala Hospital and I could empty it. Everybody could go home. The hospital would be empty. It would make national news. It would make international news. The hospital, the hospital would be empty. I could heal everybody. Why didn't he do that? Well, he didn't want to, but why didn't he want to do that? What was Jesus doing here? Sorry? Well, okay. Mm, yeah. But that wasn't his mission. His mission, you see, he, he, by the way, here's what happened. When he did heal people, right, did they follow him? Often not. He fed the 5,000, but they all went home again. I mean, it was a great day when he fed the 5,000. Uh, he, he healed people, and, and, and most of them went off. Now, some of them stayed, but most of them went off again. Right? Because here's the thing. Meeting people's temporal needs doesn't actually fulfill them spiritually or eternally. And the real need, when he's talking about them being scattered about a sheep having no shepherd, he's not talking about them being sick and diseased and so on. He's talking about there's nobody to care for their souls. There's nobody to care for them eternally. And his mission was not to just make people feel good in the world. His mission was to heal them. So he would, 
In Mark chapter 1, uh, he's had a real busy, he has a real busy day. And the next day, the, the disciples go and find him, and he's out uh, spending time with his father. And they say to him, listen, come on back. Everybody's looking for you. He's been healing all the day before. And he says, oh, good, let's go on to the next towns. He didn't go back. Because he preached and taught there, and he's, his mission was to go and preach in the other towns. Jesus was about meeting the spiritual needs of people, the eternal needs of people, not about meeting their temporal needs. Now, he had compassion on them. So he did fix a lot of stuff as he went by. But he did not fix anything like what he could have done in the temporal realm. Because his mission wasn't that. Our mission's not that. Our mission is not to fix people's problems out there. Yes, there's some of that we're going to do and we should do. Right? You know, if we've, if we've got it, we should help people. But that's not our mission. Our mission is to meet people's spiritual needs. How do we do that? We bring them to Christ. He's the answer. And we have, we have to keep that in mind. Because, you see, once again, you, see, you, you can feel real good about yourself, you know, because you give money to some, somebody who's poor. Yeah, and you're and you feeling, oh, listen, I'm not. And listen, that may be a very good thing to do. Right? But that's not your mission. Your mission is to help people spiritually. You can only do that when you're abiding in Christ. You can only do that when you're walking in Him. And Jesus is the proof of that because although He could have, He didn't meet people's needs. He, he, he went around, He healed, He helped, but He did not give His life to that. That's, that's not what it's about. It's about meeting something else. And here's what happens. When we're not abiding, you know, we want to focus on that, don't we? Listen, there are good people out there that don't know Jesus at all, that are very good at taking care of people. And if they could be honest about it, it makes them feel real good about themselves. But what you need is you need to actually be reaching out to people's eternal needs. Um, Many organizations have stepped in to meet the physical needs of humanity coupled with the gospel as a fruit of their transformed hearts. I have heard countless stories of people who found Christ in a soup kitchen or another compassion ministry. They came in an hour of physical need and found eternal freedom that went far beyond a glass of cold water or some soup. What are we saying there? We're saying that, yeah, listen... You can actually do physical things for people to help them with a spiritual impact. In other words, yeah, you're doing that, but you're preaching Christ at the same time. Because there's no point in you making them feel good on their way to hell. And as far as the church is concerned, there's no point in us setting it all up to get a crowd in so that we can satisfy them and make them feel good. No, we want to get a crowd in that are going to come to the place where they know Jesus Christ, that are going to come to the place where they're abiding in Christ, where they're yielded to him and living and walking for him, because that's the only thing that satisfies the deepest need of a human heart. All right, now you've got your sheet in front of you there, right? So here's where we're going with our sheet. You're looking at a complex passage. By the way, the pa- passages are getting a little bit... Tucson? Uh, right, so James 2, 14 through 26, it's on your sheet there, right? Now, let me just say, I'm going to explain some of the words. I'm going to try and not explain the passage here because I want you to do that for yourselves, all right? What did it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, by the way, let me say this to help some of you that are younger in the, in the Lord, right? The Bible never contradicts itself, Right? When it looks to you like it's contradicting itself, you've got to look again and see what it's saying. Now, you'll work out this passage, right? Uh, um, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and that, that faith and, and works work together is what that word wrought means there. And by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers. Now you're not going to get time to read Joshua chapter 2, so let me explain to you the story uh, of Rahab the harlot. Uh, the sp- Joshua sent out two spies to check out the land. He didn't send out 12 uh, uh, like had gone out under Moses. He sent out two spies, and he sent them out quietly to check out the land, just to kind of, it, it was a, a reconnoitering trip, right? But um, when they went out there, the people in the land twigged, that the people of Jericho twigged that they were there, and so the king went after them. So they ran for their lives. They went to a woman called Rahab's house. She hid them, right? And she ha- made them promise that when they came to take the city that they would save her and her family. And they did, right? And that's what it's talking about. It's talking about Rahab uh, the harlot and it's asking how was she saved? Was she not saved by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? She sent them out another way and saved their lives, effectively. For as the body without spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. All right, so tackle the passage there and we will go through it, right? <clears throat> Give you 15 minutes with it. and then... All right, so is James saying that we are saved by faith and works? Now, let's do a vote on this thing. Now, to be fair to you all, right, this one stumped Luther. Martin Luther was stumped by this one. Okay. <laughs> all right, how many of you think we're saved by faith and works? Now, all right, how many of you think we're saved by faith alone? Okay, so we're half and half. Half as our heretics are half and half as our not. <laughs> All right. Now, he, he, let, let's go through it and kind of catch, because it's real important that we actually catch this, right? Uh, what did it profit of my man? What doth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O man, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Now, the key... Question for you here is with Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac upon his son upon the altar? Now, how was Abraham saved? You had the, you had the answer there in Romans chapter 4. How was Abraham saved? Which? Okay, he was made righteous. How was he made righteous? By faith. Is there any mention of works in that passage? No, he was made righteous by faith. Okay, now, here's, here's, the, here's the question for you. We'll say, you, you know the story of Abraham and Isaac. God said to Abraham, it's the, it's, the, it's the end of a long life of being tested by faith for Abraham. This is not, he's not a new believer now. He's an old man. He's walked with God a very long time. And it's, it's, um, he's, he's 116, I think, at this stage. So he's walked with God a very long time, and God has tested him, come out of Ur of the Chaldees, he's going to give you a child. God has, done, God has proven himself to him over and over again. And God comes to him one morning, and he says to him, I want you to take Isaac, your only son, whom you love, and I want you to take him to a mountain that I will show you, and I want you to sacrifice him there for you, for, to, to sacrifice him there to me. Right. Now, <clears throat> Abraham believed God. Right? <clears throat> If Abraham had believed God, that God was good and God was right and God uh, was going to keep his promise to him and said, look, I believe you, God, but I'm not doing it. Is that consistent? No. He believed God is one action. But because he believed God, it necessarily meant that he did some things. Did you catch that? Believing God, you see, the devils also believe. I mean, the devils believe. They they proclaim Jesus to be the Christ. 
they weren't saved. Satan knows that Jesus is God. It's not, it's not about you, you know, reckoning on the reality of this is God. It's about you trusting in him. Now, if I trust in him, then am I not going to do what he tells me to do? And if I don't do what he tells me to do, don't I have good reason to question whether I was trusting or not? Does that make sense to you? Can you, can you catch that, that thought there? You know, if I trust him, then I'm going to actually do. Now, the doing has nothing to do with salvation. The doing is a result of the salvation that came by faith. So Abraham believed God. It was counted unto him for righteousness. And because he believed God, then he went to offer his son. Does that make sense? Can you, can you, any, any questions on that? Because I want, I want to take you through it so that you understand it. This shouldn't trip you up. Right? Somebody put it this way. The faith that saves is faith alone. But the faith that saves is not alone. And think about it this way. When you got saved, what happened? When you, when you trusted Christ, somebody gives a short testimony, a real short one, right? Anyone who gives a real short testimony of how they got saved? Okay. All right, Jay. Jay gave his testimony last week, and one of the guys that was in the audience that night got saved. Okay, so you had trusted Jesus Christ as, as your Savior, and what happens is because you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're changed. The Spirit of God comes in. That's, that's the... That's the the, the, the omnipotent God comes to dwell in you. That's kind of mind-blowing if you think about it, but that's what Scripture says. Now, is it conceivable that God can come into your life and there to be no change? Now, let me check you on this. People change at all different rates. Some people fly from the moment they're saved. Some people move forward and then go back and then move forward again. Some people do nothing for a while and then they move forward. So you, you can't readily look at somebody else's life and kind of judge this, right? But is it not impossible that God could come in and there'd be no change? It's impossible. This is, this is the God of the universe coming to dwell in you. There's got to be change. Well... Well, really, somebody has, has reason to question their salvation. Now, here's the thing. You can't go poking around and question their salvation. They can question it, though, and they should question it, because there should be change. Salvation is not just something that happens over here, you know, and doesn't have any bearing on your life. I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, salvation is not something you take and shove in your pocket. Now, people change at all different rates, and you really won't be able to judge, so don't do it. But when somebody gets saved, there has to be fruit. If the Spirit comes in, there has to be fruit. And, and it has to come in somebody's life. Right? The fruit of your salvation is the fact that you change. Now let me read you. We, when we talk about salvation, we, we quote Romans 2, 8 and 9. Right? Let me read it for you, though. Or Sorry, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship. That word workmanship is poem. We're his poem. So what he did when he started, when you got saved, he started a work in you. That's just the beginning of his work. That's not the end of his work. That's the beginning of his work. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. 
Before I got saved, I was going this direction, my life, my way, doing my own thing. After I got saved, I'm going in a whole different direction. I didn't always go in the right direction. Sometimes I turned back a bit. Sometimes I went sideways. Sometimes it didn't look like I was going anywhere. But generally, since the time I've got saved, I've been going in a right direction, a different direction. Why? Because he's begun a good work in me, and he's going to continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, what you'll see in a believer's life is when they won't do right, when they won't actually walk with God, life gets pretty tough. Life gets difficult. Anybody that's been there, we've all been there at some stage. Listen, when you're not walking with God, you're saved and you're not walking with God, it's kind of miserable. You're not part of the world because you can't, you can't be happy in the world. You don't want to go to church and be around Christians. You don't want to read your Bible. And so you're in a no-man's land where you're separated from God. It's a horrible place to be. Right? Because you're made now for good works. You used to be made to serve yourself. That's what you were. But now, you're, now you're, your whole makeup, everyone that is in Christ Jesus is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You're made to go in a different direction. Now, the confusing part is that it looks like James is mashing the two together. He's not really. What he's trying to do is he's trying to say, now hang on a minute, if you're really saved, there's got to be works. The devils believe they don't have any works. But if, listen, Abraham believed God, but then he went out and did it. He was changed and he went out and did it. And you and I need to understand that too, that listen, salvation is by faith and by faith alone. But salvation by faith brings in the spirit of the living God and produces a changed person that's going in a different direction, that's doing things differently. And so that, that needs, to be, <clears throat> needs to be there. Now, and, and the question then for us is, okay, so what changes have happened in my life since I got saved? Now, some of you have so much change, you couldn't even, you couldn't even uh, record all of it. You know, you've been changing for, for years and years and years, and some of you need to ask yourselves, well, hang on a minute, if I'm truly saved, I should be changing. Perfectly legitimate for you to go to God and say, Lord, I don't think I'm changing. What's wrong? What's the problem here? I don't see much change in my life. I mean, you came in. And listen, do you know God's a great communicator? God's able to actually step into your life and say, that, here's the reason, here's the problem. We resist change, don't we? We, 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 we resist change because we, we like having it easy. We like running our own ship. And we resist change. It's not good for us. It doesn't help us. So when you come to God and ask God what it is, he'll show you what it is. And you say, okay, Lord, have it your way. I don't want to run the ship. But there has to be real change in your life when you get saved. It's just, it's not, it's not that, you know, that, um, okay, so I cleaned up my act and, and I believed in God and I got saved. It's not even I believed in God and I cleaned up my act and I got saved. I believed on God and I got saved and the Spirit of God came in and my act started getting cleaned up. I started changing. The more you embrace the change, the better for you, the quicker it'll happen. Uh, and the, the, the less you embrace it, the more difficult it's going to be for you. You know, I, I, at this stage, I almost think we should put a disclaimer uh, when we're talking to somebody about the Lord, okay, you're going to get saved, right? <clears throat> Here's what you got to do. you got to recognize yourself as a sinner. Understand that you deserve hell. Understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, and then you've got to put your trust in him, not in you, right? <clears throat> but you need to say, but if you ask him to come in, he will come in. I'm telling you what, he doesn't come in just to keep the status quo going, and he doesn't come in to help, to help you run your life. He comes in to live his life through you, understand that. Because that's exactly what happens. And if you fight it, what happens is it gets hard. And if you yield to him and let him have his way in your life and go with him on it, you're changing. Right? And, but we're stubborn creatures. We don't always go in the, in, in the right direction. But that's what salvation is. Salvation brings us to that place where we're actually moving in the right direction. So therefore, here's what happens, right? Uh, faith alone saves. But faith alone brings in the Spirit of God who produces good works. And it's, that's just the reality of it. A Christianity that can, where somebody can get saved and there's no difference, 
is at best highly questionable. Now, does that any, anybody have questions on this now? Because if you have a question, somebody else has a question on it as well, right? So what part does, does works play in our salvation? Question number three. It's not a trick question. What part does works play in our salvation? None. Works is a fruit of salvation. Good works is a fruit of salvation. It has no part in your salvation. Right? Does, does that make sense? Leighton? So it's got to be by faith, and by faith alone, there's nothing added to it. All right? But don't, don't confuse it. After you're saved, there's supposed to be change, and the change will always be good works. All right? <clears throat> okay, so um, how was it Rahab the harlot saved? Rahab, by the way, is a very interesting character. Right? She goes against her whole nation because she knows that God is coming with this, this people called Israel, and she knows they haven't got a chance. And so what she does is she protects these spies, uh, knowing that the past, her, 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 her city, her people are over, and she wants a life. With God. So what she's doing is she's trusting God. She's trusting in the God of Israel. And uh, by the way, we can't really spend the time to go into this, Everybody who's ever been saved was saved by faith. Abraham in the Old Testament wasn't saved by doing. He was saved by faith. The Jews under the law were not saved by keeping the law. They were saved by faith. The Jew had, who, who tried to keep the law, did, here's what he did. Right? He had this perfect law. Um, and it was a good and a perfect law. And if you could have been saved by keeping that law, that was the law to save you. If you could just have done it, you could be saved. But nobody was able to do it. Nobody, nobody, apart from Jesus, was able to keep the law. Absolutely nobody. So the good, honest-hearted Jew who tried to live by the law ultimately had to come to the place where he said, I can't do it. I'm failing. I've, I, I've gotten this wrong and that wrong and I can't do it. Lord, if you don't do something for me, I'm putting my trust in that lamb that's dying every year. Because there's no other way I'm going to be saved. What he was doing is he was looking forward to the cross. He was trusting in Christ. People have only ever been saved by faith. It's impossible for anybody by works to be saved. It's always been by faith. So that, that, that's key for you to get it. You, listen, when you got saved, you got saved by faith. But there should be change. And if there's not change, it doesn't mean you're not saved. You know, if, you have, if you can't look back at your life and see all the change, because the changes sometimes are subtle inside us. And like I said, the changes come in fits and starts for some people. I've seen some people just streak ahead from the day they got saved. I, I had one friend in the States, right? He was in college when he got saved, right? And um, he was living in a totally immoral world. And not to put too fine a point on it, he continued living in his totally immoral world because he didn't know any better. And then, one day, God revealed to him how wrong, how wrong his totally immoral world was, and he changed on the spot. But he, he, he just went on living the way he was living because he didn't know any better. He had no idea. Well, it was a lovely guy, really lovely guy. He was a Canadian guy, lovely guy, but, but he, he just had no idea. And you see, sometimes believers don't grow because they don't have any teaching. Sometimes they don't grow because they're just stunted for one reason or another, getting get their own way. But ultimately, see that man, he lived wrong, but then God showed him, and then he went streaking ahead, changing. And you know what? That's, what? that's what salvation does. Salvation brings change. It brings you under new management. The Spirit of God comes in. Everything changes because of that. And therefore, there ought to be that changing. And, 
And don't let somebody confuse you, no, no, salvation is by, by you being good. No, you're never going to be that good. If you're not trusting in the Lord, you'll never get it right. Okay, we'll leave, we will leave it there, uh, unless there's any questions, because I don't want to leave a question mark in somebody's mind. This is kind of an awkward passage, and um, I, I, I think you can see it clearly at this point, but if you have a question, ask me, or even if you want to come and ask me later on, ask me later on, right? But don't, don't leave something lingering doubting in your mind uh, as far as this is concerned. Okay. The rest of it. Ke Kevin is saying, yeah, there's nothing wrong with the, the music. Is The only issue we're talking about with consumerism is, is the focus. Is my focus, I'm coming to church so you can help me, so you can do for me, so you can actually make me feel better. And, and, if, I, and if you stop making me feel better, I'm going somewhere else. Right? Or is my focus, I am coming to church to worship the living God. The music is real important in that making music that people can actually sing and that uh, helps them to come into that place. And yeah, and the teaching, if it's that direction, that, that's what it's supposed to be too. Right, Christine? Yeah, and, and you hear what Kirsten is saying there, that, that, that there became a rigid way for the pastors to preach. They were supposed to preach in a certain way to please the people so people will come, so people money in the offering and the church can keep going. It, it can rapidly deteriorate into that unless you're careful. And that's never going to work. There's, there's no pattern. There's no, there's no pattern for relating to God. When you actually put God into a box and make a pattern, you've just blown the relationship effectively you, you know tr try and do it right you know if you try and talk to a friend and you talk to them in a in a certain format that you learn from somewhere else how long is it going to be before they twig it it's not going to take them any time going, because you've now you've now got a canned relationship with somebody you can't do that you can't have a canned relationship with god you've got to come to god like he's a person a living being each day lord i need your help today I'm facing this and this and this, and I want you to have your way in it because I don't know what to do. And you've got to be expecting God to speak into your life. You've got to be expecting, because otherwise, and, and we're experts at this, all of us, getting into a rote type thing where, you know, I get up every morning, I have my devotions, I read my, uh, chapter, my chapters in the Old Testament, and I read my chapters in the New Testament, then I rush into the day and get the work done, and so on. How, when was the last time you were with God? The last time you communicated with him. In a relationship, you have to relate. And you see, that's where we're going with all this. That's where we're pushing with all this. You can't actually put it in a box for the pastors or for the people. It's got to be a living relationship. And worship you know, has got to be... You see, we can sing songs pitch perfect. If our hearts don't engage, it doesn't mean anything. Our hearts have to engage. It has to be real. All right, thank you. Anybody else with a question or comment here real quick before we go? Q Daly. Um, a few years ago, I was in the States, and I went along to a church of 25,000. There were three auditoriums put together. And they came to church not for God, because the church provided all the facilities that the young people wanted. <laughs> which meant it, wasn't, it was a weak church, but a strong church as far as uh, the world is concerned, not as far as God is concerned. Okay. But it was massive. Yeah, now, I, I can't comment on that because I don't, don't, don't even know the church right now, and I, I wouldn't want to, but here's the thing. Any church is only as good as it's abiding. Yeah. Any church. Now, there are big churches that do this well, Hugh. 
right? Big churches that, that, that do this well. But if it's not abiding, it doesn't matter whether it's big or whether it's small. The music is not the issue. Uh, it's, it's not about what people wear. It's about whether they're actually abiding. That's what makes a strong church. A strong church is that God, in the person of his son, has access to these individuals that are sitting in pews in the church, however big or small it is. Right? That it, it, it's, that's the key to it. So, I mean, if I come up here and I preach and I'm not abiding, you know what? That stinks. That sucks. Right? By the way, one of the great gifts God gave me was when I started off, I can't preach. I just, I, I just, nothing in my nature ever wanted to stand before people and preach. The furthest thing from my nature ever, right? So from the word go, whenever I would preach, I would have to plead with God, now listen, if you don't deliver me, I'm finished. I'm sunk because I knew I couldn't do it. And that's a gift. That's been a gift over the years, right? Because you don't want somebody preaching to you that's not actually abiding and walking with God. Right? Now, hang on. I don't want to preach to people that are not abiding and walking in God. don't mind preaching to lost people that are not. But, you know, the reality is that when you're abiding and walking with God, there's actually an energy passing between us when I'm preaching. Because it's, it's Jesus that's there between us. Right? And that's, that's what the church is supposed to be. The church is going to be strong. And then what happens is we go out into the world as the light of the world because we're walking with God. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Just uh, following your, your thoughts, what you were saying now, in the third question is saying, what part does works play in our salvation? I believe that uh, in front of works, it's supposed to be word our. Okay, our works, yes, good point. <laughs> Okay, all right, I, I get what you're saying. So our works have no part in our salvation, but other people are actually delivering the gospel to us. Okay, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> right. What you're saying about your preaching, you maybe don't like or you wouldn't be able to, uh, but God used it and it works, his works in you, so these works are delivered to other people for their salvation. Okay, but, like, but... My works had no part in my salvation. Right? Okay, all right. <laughs> I'll go with that, all right. <laughs> okay. Yes, very little. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, this, is, this is a whole big question, right? <laughs> when do your children get saved? Will your children get saved when they come to the place where they actually trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, same as you did? Now, children's sins obviously are not as big a deal in, the, in our eyes uh, as maybe our sins where we got saved later in life, right? But the reality is that the sin is for someone to go their own way and do their own thing. And every child has done it. No mammy ever taught her children to lie. Uh, maybe some did. Right? <clears throat> uh, no, no mother teaches her children to steal. And yet, these cute little things learn to do all those things. And what's the reality is they're going their own way and doing their own thing. And it's when they're confronted with their sin that they actually come to the place where they need Jesus Christ as Savior and they put their trust in him for salvation. They've always believed in God. But there's a point where, no, I'm a sinner. I need this Jesus. I need salvation, just the same as my parents did. But they, and by the way, <clears throat> the most terrifying thing to me about parenting is this. You have no control over your kids actually coming to that place. You can talk to them about it. You can make sure the home uh, is laced with the gospel. You can live the reality of Christ. And obviously that's going to influence them. But every single child has to, by themselves, in their own right, come to faith in Jesus Christ. And <clears throat> I tell you, 
uh, it's, it's, the, it's the scary moment for every parent. You look at your child, and the, there's a moment that comes in their teen years too, and you're looking at them and you're thinking, oh man, they have to actually choose this now. Because they, they may have trusted Jesus Christ as their savior, but they have to choose to walk with him in their teen years. And you're looking at them and you're thinking, oh Lord, help me. And that's when you get to pray, and that's when you learn to really pray, uh, when you watch your kids going through that, because there's no way you can do it for them or you can make it happen for them. But somebody put it this way, Fairleth, God has no grandchildren. Everybody comes to him on their own, by faith, at some point in their lives. Right? So, <clears throat> good question, though. That's, by the way, that's why we need to do children's ministry, too, because these little ones need an avenue where they come to Christ. All right, we are running late. See, the more we talk, folks, the more uh, the, 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 the later we get, all right? Um, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll take a prayer request. Father in heaven, would you uh, bless us tonight now, Lord? Lord, we need you. Uh, Lord, we want to be that people, Lord, that uh, abide in you. And because we abide in you, Lord, we do good works. We do those things. Lord, would you help us? Would you pour out a blessing upon us? Lord, would you give us a church that abides? And oh, Lord, I pray even for those that are not here tonight, Lord. Lord, I pray that uh, their hearts would be stirred and that they would get drawn in. And Lord, that we would be a church that abides, that walks with you, that looks into your face, that relies on your power, that hears from you, uh, that knows your presence and that speaks for you. Oh, Lord, would you bless? Would you do that deep work in us in Jesus' name?